ACNFers, Creative Nonfiction Podcast is sponsored by Scrivener. Scrivener was created by writers for writers. It brings all the tools you need to craft your first draft together in one handy app. Scrivener won't tell you how to write. It simply provides everything you need to start writing and keep writing. And if you enter the coupon code NONFICTION at checkout, you'll receive a 20% discount on the regular versions of Scrivener for Mac OS or Windows. That'll buy you some coffee to fuel that writing sesh, if you ask me. Some good Java out there. Hmm? So, whether you plot everything out or plunge in, write, and restructure later, Scrivener works your way. How am I still writing about this crisis and it seems like nobody is caring enough to help besides the people that are being affected by it? Well, that's Chess Needham. His partner is Ashley Molesso. Together they are Ash and Chess and this is the Creative Nonfiction Podcast. Ooh, feel that groove, man. Hey, I'm Brendan O'Mara, host of this here rodeo. Thanks for being here. Thanks for spending the time with us. I mean that. And you know what? You're going to want to keep the conversation going on social media, at CNFPod or at Brendan O'Mara, across the big networks. Email the show with questions or concerns, and even consider leaving the show a voicemail by heading over to brendanomero.com and clicking the appropriate button. I'll answer the question on air. You can also email the show, Podcast at gmail.com as well. I'd love to hear from you. The show is for you. While you're there, sign up for the monthly newsletter to receive reading recommendations, cool articles, writing tips, and what you might have missed from the world of this podcast. First of the month, no spam. Can't beat it. Anyway, Ash and Chess are the authors behind The Gay Agenda, a modern queer and history handbook. It is published by Morrow Gift. It is an incredible work of art and an incredible resource. It's fun and educational. What a world! A little about Ash and Chess. Here's what their website, ashandchess.com, says. Ash and Chess is a cute stationery company run by queer and trans power couple Ashley Molesso, she, her, and Chess Needham, he, him. Based out of Richmond, Virginia, they create greeting cards, art prints that are bold, retro color palettes, and they often use their artwork to make a political statement. It's great stuff. We talk about a bit about their roots, how they met, how they launched their company, and came to write The Gay Agenda, of course. And, of course, you'll hear their combined bookshelf for the apocalypse, so you'll have that to look forward to, as well as my parting shot, the segment formerly known as my long intro. Why wait any longer? Here's my conversation with this power couple, Ashton Chess. <laughs> You go first because your name comes first in Ash and Chess. Okay. Um, so I I grew up in Arkansas. I grew up in northwest Arkansas. I kind of didn't want to stay there. Uh, and so whenever I graduated high school, I moved to New York for college. And the reason I went to New York, I like, <laughs> I mean, it's funny. I didn't really ever think I wanted to go to New York, but like I just, I had family there. And I knew I didn't want to stay in Arkansas, so I kind of was like, I'll go where my other family is. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up in the city and I went to um, Fashion Institute of Technology and I studied textile design. So I kind of like always like did artsy things. I don't know. There's not much to say about that's a, that's a pretty <laughs> bold move though to go from you know the deep south to you know the you know a fashion capital of the world in a lot of ways. <laughs> I don't know. It's so wild. Like it's so funny. Like how much I've changed from like my first part of my life, like zero years old to eighteen, and then like eighteen to like twenty eight. It's like yeah, well, yeah. To kind of describe that, uh, describe that a little bit from zero to eighteen. Like, what was you know, what was that transition? We know that period, like where you were able to, you know, uh, ultimately sort of build up that kind of courage to to get out of this place that clearly, you know, wasn't resonating with you. Well, I don't know. I mean, like, I don't really know what was like. I feel like I just had this weird drive inside of me, and I don't want to stay here forever. Like, I hadn't really traveled too much like growing up like we kind of like as a family we would take like road trips to like Florida or like sometimes we would go to California because my parents like were in the navy there and like they had friends there still so like that was as far and then like New York well I guess that is a lot of travel actually (laughs) but Mm -hmm. I don't know I just like felt that um like there wasn't anything for me in Arkansas like career-wise I mean honestly whenever I was like a kid, I didn't know what I really wanted to do. Like there were times where I was like, I want to be a dinosaur when I grow up. Like I didn't have like a clear like idea of what it even meant to be an adult, like working and everything. But um, you just knew that you had to, it was somewhere away from where you grew up. Yeah. So I just, I was like, I want a new, like I want a new start didn't see myself there's a university there's the university of arkansas in fayetteville and it's a really big college and they have a lot of different majors and schools there but i just was like none of it interested me and i wanted to do something creative something not arkansas (laughs) right i think like i don't know i try to think whenever i think about it i'm like i'm surprised that i even like left sometimes because like I don't even remember what was going through my mind when I was like a teenager (laughs) like Mm -hmm. figuring out what I wanted to do with the rest of my life like I just kind of got here I guess that's awesome that's awesome how how about you Chess um let's see so I'm from New Jersey like right outside of New York um so Ash and I met in New York that's how we first met in Brooklyn but yeah I'm from a small like kind of suburban town, I guess, in New Jersey called Summit. And I ended up going to New York for college. I went actually first to SVA for photography. Um, And I went there for like, I think I was there for a year and then half, (laughs) half a semester. And then I decided photography was not really what I wanted to do like career wise. Um, It probably didn't help that we also had a lot of visiting photographers come in often and be like, it's really hard to make it in the photography world. You're probably not going to do it or you'll end up shooting like wedding photos for your whole life if you want to do something else. Like they just made it sound really difficult. Um and then I was yeah, like, real, you know, I'm supportive. Yeah, exactly. Wait, I'm yeah, like, let me just cut in. That's what they did in at FIT too. Like <laughs> I mean they're in, being I feel like in any 
creative thing they're like well only like two percent of you are gonna make it and it's like really discouraging it's insane maybe it's like a a cover your ass kind of thing where it's like well we can't promise these people amazing jobs in their field so we should uh at least let them know that it's tough but I knew I, I liked it but it was just like not exactly what I wanted to do but I had been not a great student in high school and like photography was kind of my outlet there and was like my skill set and so I ended up going to school for photography just because I felt like that was what was open for me. After I did my year and a half at SVA, I realized I actually wanted to get into education. And I transferred to NYU and I studied education, specifically special education. And then I actually taught in the New York City DOE for seven years up until last June when I finally, they call it resigned. I like like to say I retired. Uh, we decided to work on Ash and Chess full time. And then we moved down here to Richmond, Virginia after that, which so that's been like the big change for me, because I I'm like Ash, like New York City was always available to me. It was like my parent, my mom worked there uh, when I was growing up. I would go in all the time as a kid, like friends would go in. It was just like the place to be. And it was where so many people from my town ended up and probably are still there. So moving down here to Richmond now, which is like the beginning of the South, I guess. Nice. And and so uh, how, how did you guys end up meeting? Oh. Well, we met on a dating app. We met in 2015. We met on a dating app. Mm-hmm. Um, we both almost stood each other up on the first date, but yeah. we didn't. <laughs> Luckily. <laughs> yeah, that's how we met. I mean, we had like, I don't know, Ash, What our first date was good, right? Yeah. So like I <laughs> was on the edge. I was like sick of meeting people from the internet when I met Chess. And I almost ditched. I was like, I don't know if I can take another like insane person like from the internet because <laughs> like I feel like everyone I was meeting before chess was like complete opposite of like what I was like even how I live my life, and it was just really like unsettling to be around so many uncomfortable <laughs> people. And so I almost canceled. And I had another date lined up, so I almost yeah. canceled. <laughs> we were both like on the same page. So like we met up like one day after work in Williamsburg and we like didn't have anything planned and we just like walked around and like hung out and then we got a beer, we like went to the water, we went to the park, we played cards, like we did the boring stuff. But it was like it was pretty fun. And then like Chess told like Chess taught me how to eat grass, like how to oh identify gosh. grass and like eat it, which is like so weird. Real day. Wow. But All then right. here's the kicker. Chess didn't even we didn't even kiss on our first date. We were just like so interested in each other and we we're like, whoa. I was right. trying to be polite. That's why I we I like walked at <laughs> home and then she like lingered on her doorstep and I was just like, All right, well, see you later. I like called an Uber. I was like, My Uber's here, I gotta go. And then that was the beginning of something beautiful. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So at, at what point do you start collaborating artistically in, in what would turn into uh, Ash and Chess? On our second date, I taught you how to draw a cowboy hat. A cowboy hat, yeah. <laughs> so that was the very beginning of the business. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was like, real, well, Ash has always been like, she's just so creative it's it's like insane and she's just so good at art that I was like what I can't believe this I remember she I don't know if you remember this Ash but you drew like a little picture of me and you texted it to me but I was at my brother's it was like three days after we met I was at my brother's birthday party and you like had drawn a little I remember I did it with my neon gel pens yeah I thought it was so special and I was like captivated but 
Ash had always worked in, you know, like in art and fashion. She was working at a wallpaper designer at the time that we met. And she kept telling me, like, I really want to start a stationary company. I really want to start a stationary company. And I just was like, at first I was like, yeah, okay, okay, sure, whatever. Like, that doesn't <laughs> sound like a thing to me. Like, I knew that, like, I knew of, like, Hallmark and, like, I'd seen more kind of, like, cutesy designs by, like, Rifle Paper and stuff like that, like, big companies. And so I was like, yeah, I don't really understand how this would be something that you would ever do as a job, but it does sound like fun to do. And then Ash took me to, there was this thing called the National Stationery Show. It actually just closed now, um, unfortunately, like COVID and all of that didn't really oh, treat that industry closed, well. But they combined it with New York now officially now, I think. Yeah, yeah, they did. Um, but yeah, Ash took me to that show and we like walked up and down the aisles. It's like this giant convention at the Javits Center where everyone sets up a booth and like you kind of design like a mini store where people can come through and just see all of this cool art and like we walked through I saw really cool art and I also was like Ash's art is just as cool as this art that I'm seeing here so then I was like a little bit more <laughs> I was a little more open to the idea and then we kind of just jumped in in 2017 was our first show right uh yeah yeah, yeah so then we like started designing our first set of cards. I think like we started August like right 2016 that. is when we got our first four <clears throat> cards printed. Yeah, we had we didn't know like anything really about the industry. We like we did a line of of yeah, it was four cards, and I think we expanded it a little bit by the time of our first show. But like we had no awareness of like how to print cards in like a cost effective way and how to package things. Like everything was just trial and error at that point. But it was it was fine because I had a job at that time like I was a teacher so I had like a, a salary and stuff so we were able to show our stuff at the at the first show in May 2017 and we got a really good response from it and then after that we just kind of like people started to know who we were like slowly but surely um, and then just like every year that we did the show we got more and more retailers and it just kind of blew up from there and then when I quit my job in 2019 yeah 2019 it just kind of was like well we actually have to make this work as a full-time thing anyway so yeah it's it's just kind of grown pretty rapidly which is is really cool and, that's amazing um, i was i was curious as to the evolution of of the uh, of the business too because it's such a it's such a crowded industry uh, just mm -hmm. and so it's hard to stand out and then to stand out and then to get the traction you need to make it viable and it's uh so it's just to hear the 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 journey of the business and how it actually really kind of took hold kind of quick because it's uh oh, it's pretty inspiring and just uh it's just pretty exciting just to hear you guys talk about it <laughs> thanks yeah it's really cool i mean we also like i i think that we we just tried to make it like we really tried to stay true to ourselves, I guess, like when we first started, because our first four cards were like very calm. They were just like, thank you, or like yeah. with hearts on it or something <laughs> like that. And then we were like, well, you know, let's just make like we are a queer couple. Let's make things that are a little bit more like obviously being queer is like seen as political. So we're like, let's make things political yeah. and just see what happens. And people responded well to it. And we're kind of like, you know, we were kind of also like filling a hole, I guess, of cute, but queer but political but like edgy and yeah. fun cards too like I feel like we kind of have just like a different design than a lot of what you see so I think that that definitely helped us a lot 
I had a few jobs like working in like mass market textile design and like mass market let me just tell you it is so depressing <laughs> because, right, right. Like, I feel like everybody just really loves these ugly things and like I had to sit behind a desk for like two or three years like freelance designing like there were some opportunities like towards the end of my freelance career where I got to design really cute things because like trends were evolving but like for a really long time I had to design like these really ugly like chevron blankets or like (laughs) medallions like just like knocked off from like shutterstock and stuff it was just like so exciting to be able to make art that you didn't see in like the mainstream it was like you know conversation starter stuff oh my gosh like that's so like that's such a wild concept that you would like make this cute stuff but it's like saying something important instead of just saying like live laugh love or whatever like (laughs) it was just like such a breath of fresh air to decide like oh we're not gonna stick it to like what is safe because like that's what so many companies do i feel um yeah yeah, like making average stuff for average people is the very (laughs) definition of the mass market so you really have to go to the edges if you want to you know make make a statement and even and just to just to uh, i don't know to stand out and to find your your audience your small smallest viable audience as seth godin might call it yeah yeah exactly i mean like even when we started i remember in our first catalog we said that we were at the well at the time we had identified a, as a lesbian couple because it wasn't out as trans yet but like our first catalog said like oh let like it's run by a lesbian couple ash and chess and like people were like oh my gosh you can't write that in your catalog people aren't gonna buy your stuff or like maybe people are gonna second guess it and we're like okay but i don't want to sell stuff to people that don't want to buy our things because of who we are yeah so it's kind of like i i think that that actually helped us stand out i mean we actually just got I think one of our first, I think it was 2017, I'm not going to name any names, but there was like a big box retailer that ordered some stuff from us, like ordered a large order from us. And they got some things that were like, I guess, maybe seen as like subversive. I don't even remember if it was a queer card. Oh, no, they they ordered I'm Glad You Came Out. And it's a a card with a closet with rainbow clothes inside of it. And it's just like a coming out card. They ordered. Your memory is so good. Yeah, but they ordered it. But it was funny because they ordered it because it was. It's like a very like big, like across like the country. Like, well, that's what I'm saying. Is they (laughs) they ordered it in 2017 and then they didn't reorder it. So we were like, I guess it didn't sell well. Like whatever. But they just emailed us back and were like, I think we were ahead of our times, or you were ahead of your time, and now we want to reorder it. (laughs) And we're like, okay, three years later, now it's like fine i don't even know if i want to sell it to them again but whatever (laughs) Uh, so how did you settle on your particular this retro style i I love it so much and i just wonder how how did that evolve Hmm. i've always been really interested in like design from like the 60s and 70s there's like a lot of really beautiful graphic design like typography from that era Um, It's, like, really psychedelic or, like, really neon, just fun and bright. And I feel like that has always kind of influenced, like, my design style. And I know that it's definitely influenced chesses. Yeah, Ash Ash taught me everything about design. So, like, I feel like we also started off that way. And then, like, Ash taught me a lot about, like, making a 
collection kind of where like our cards aren't necessarily in collections like it's not like oh the flower collection the gay collection like whatever but they are like they they go together and like Ash definitely taught me about how to make them go together and be like a little bit more cohesive that way so I think starting that way meant that that was kind of like just our our go-to style and now it's like I don't even know if I can design another way (laughs) it's just that's really funny it's really funny to hear that because like some people will come up to us and be like oh my gosh like this is so your style all of these go so well together and I'm like I don't see that I feel like every single thing that we design is so different from the next and like I don't see them being cohesive and it's really funny hearing other people think that we have like this set style when I'm like we have like 40 different styles like well I mean we always like color match things like things go together too and also like I do all the fulfillment too so I spend so much time just looking at all of these styles and I would say like when you look at an order together like when I pack an order I end up looking at all of the cards together and they do go well together so it's just weird but I'm also looking at them now and I'm like yeah I see what Ash is saying where there's like 10 different styles in them but I would say there's only like one or two cards that we've ever designed that don't go like straight up don't go slash I don't like them they're the ones I don't like how did you get comfortable with the uh you know obviously the creative side is there but uh, the navigating the the business side of it that's uh, <laughs> often very disparate uh interests w- when you're dealing with creative people so how did you guys uh, navigate that oh my gosh we hate I tried it. to push all of it onto chess you did push all <laughs> of it that's why I'm like I hate it it's like, like from the beginning but like <laughs> we couldn't exactly do that from the beginning because chess had a full-time job the entire time like from the beginning of the we like when we started Ash and Chess and I always kind of like either had like a part-time job or like a freelance job where I did work full-time but like it wasn't all the time mm-hmm. so like generally I had more time to work on like back-end stuff of the company so like we kind of both did it for a while but like as of lately I hope Chess is willing to take on <laughs> Okay. I, what do you mean you hope I am no like I Thank have you. <laughs> I enjoy I don't know Ash is like obviously really fast at designing and really good at designing and like if I come up with a concept or like do a sketch she's able to give like immediate feedback and you know helps me work on it too so like we try to split the design but I would definitely say like Ash does more um design than I do but like I also I don't know I think it works well together because I really like doing like order fulfillment I'm really fast at it I have like ADHD so I'm like I could get super focused on something and I could just like pack orders for five hours and then realize I didn't eat lunch but like I got everything out for the week or something and that's just like I don't know it's fun for me I would say definitely the part where we struggle is like just the actual boring stuff like accounting and taxes so if anyone is listening and they they really like that stuff tell us because we hate it so we just like hate doing it yeah well it's great to hear you talk about that because so often you know people on the show whether they be freelance uh you know journalists or essayists or anything in between few people ever even talk about the sort of the bookkeeping side of things or the quarterly filing (laughs) of taxes kind of things but that's a very very real element if you're going to make it as an independent contractor however that independent contracting manifests itself yeah it is and it's crazy because it's just like it really is another full-time job like it's it's so time consuming to actually 
manage all these things and then like you have to research the different tax structures and like we research it and we like think we understand it and then we talk about it again we're like we have no idea what this is like it's just it's so complex and it's yeah it's it's not fun that's that's my least favorite part so talk a little bit about how how uh the your wonderful book the gay agenda came to be it's got a pretty cool origin story so uh (laughs) so talk about that oh so it all started with instagram love instagram Instagram has been such a great like tool to get freelance work and like opportunities to work with other artists. Um, so we actually, I'll start from the very beginning. Um, I, we actually have done a couple collabs with this book club called Bellatrist and it's run by Emma Roberts and Kara Price. And they do these like really cool, like, book picks every month sometimes I do two books anyway we did a collab and we designed um some tote bags for them like like limited run like really cute little bags and this agent this literary agent saw it on Instagram and she reached out to us and she was like hey I represent illustrators do you guys want to make a book? And we're like, this is like spam email. <laughs> we're like, this is garbage. Like, this isn't real. Because we do get a lot of spam too. That's like, I have a great opportunity for you. Just email me back <laughs> and I'll tell you it. And we're like, yeah. what? It's funny too, because I always start with like RE. Like, did you get my email before? And But like, <laughs> yeah. it's always the first email. It's like they hadn't emailed us before. It's just a joke. Um, <laughs> so yeah. So our agent, the wonderful Meg, um, she we set like I set up a call with her and I was like let me just check this out to see if it's like real or not yeah so she so we talked and she was like yeah like I found your stuff like your stuff is like great like how do you feel about like making a book proposal like I work with a lot of artists blah 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 like all this cool stuff and I'm like okay yeah this sounds like (laughs) real and so like me and Chess kind of like thought about it and we came up with like ideas of like if we were able to make a book. Yeah, Meg was like, make a book about anything. Like, we just, like, what I like is your style. So just make a book in your art style. And that was it. So we're like, oh, anything. Yeah. Okay. So, like, we came up with like a pitch. Like, we had a few ideas. Like, the one we love to tell people is that, like, we thought about making like dog fashion throughout the his like throughout history. Or no, what was it? It was like fashion <laughs> was do- it was, throughout it was... history modeled by dogs. Yeah. So, we like, just were having fun idea. drawing drawing pants on dogs because they just look silly it just looked funny um we thought about like we do have this idea for like a kind of like a road trip book but like focused around queer people all over the united states but that was a little too complicated for a first book but then we were like you know we should make like something really really gay because like this is a huge opportunity if like if a publisher picks up our idea like we have the potential to like get some really like important information out there and like it, this could be a way to like make people not feel so alone in the queer community so um we well, settled, we like landed on the gay agenda which is kind yeah. of like we imagined it being half history and half handbook but it turned out to be like more mostly <laughs> history and then like a tiny bit of handbook we were we were like throwing around all of these ideas too and we just i think like ultimately we were like okay we have like an audience at that time it was like a much smaller audience but we we're like we do have an audience we do have 
like all of these things, you know, going for us. And we do have an art style and obviously, you know, people are drawn to that, but we wanted to use it to actually mean something, you know, cause we're like, I don't know, both of us grew up, like, even though I grew up in the Northeast, like near New York city, where everyone imagines that like everyone is gay and everyone is like queer and open and okay with it too. Like that was right. just not at all the message that I received growing up. And like, that's also just not the message that most people have received growing up. So we were like, we need to just make something that like one, we wish that we had had because I would have loved to see, like, even if I didn't read the book, just like seeing a book or like normalizing, seeing the word gay and not having it be like someone making fun of you or not having it be like something that people are like, oh, sh don't say that word. Like, don't talk about that. Like just kind of normalizing and showing our community was something that was really important to us. Um, so that was how we like ended up on making something serious and not just dogs with pants on. <laughs> yeah. And well, in the title of the book too, Ash, it comes from, <laughs> you know, uh, it, it comes right from the roots of where you grew up and it's just like the biggest middle finger to that guy. <laughs> totally. Oh my, God. oh my gosh, wait. Yeah, wait, let me just give the listeners a background story on this. So yeah, like I grew up I grew up in Springdale, Arkansas, and uh we went to church all the time. And we went to this mega church for a while and like the pastor I guess like whenever I thought of like I, I came up with a name kind of it's just like, well, I mean, it is the gay agenda, like it's perfect fit, like um, kind of like taking back that like negative feel it has around it that has been used for so many years. Anyway, I Googled, I Googled the title to see if like there were other books actually called the gay agenda. And what do you know, the pastor of the mega church that I went to in Springdale, Arkansas, <laughs> wrote a book called the gay agenda, um, except it was like the subtitle of it was like, it's dividing the family, like the nation. And like, <laughs> it's just like really wild. And it's like, I mean, I haven't read the book, but I just, just like, <laughs> I don't think you need to read it. Like, really I can tell what it's about. <laughs> um, but I was like, you know, it's just, it's meant to be like, I'm, we're, we're taking it back. We're taking back the gay agenda. <laughs> But uh, maybe who, um, you know, who across, like in the course of your, of, in your research of this book, you know, who, who stood out to you and like, who really kind of like stuck their sort of claws into you? Like, that's kind of like, that person really speaks to me. Hmm. I don't know. That's a hard question. That is hard. It's like, oh, there's so many of them too, where I'm like, I don't need, like, could I pick one person? Because so many people just like. I don't know. I feel like we not, I don't know if we take for granted, but like, yeah, kind of take for granted the fact that like, like that Ash and I, when we had identified as like a lesbian couple, we could walk around the streets and not be harassed or like not be guaranteed to be harassed, like maybe be harassed a little bit, but not, um, you know, it wasn't like as scary or like take for granted that now I can call up like Planned Parenthood and I can get testosterone from them and I can like do all of these things that are now open for me that so many people had to spend so much of their life hiding and like just existing was so courageous but like ah, oh, there's just so many people that I, I don't even know I don't know who to choose I don't want to choose one person do I have to choose one person 
Oh no, not at all. You could choose however many that just really, you know, really speak to you and, and just, you know, I don't know. Yeah, like you were saying, you wrote this book not to feel alone, not yeah. so other people wouldn't feel as alone. I imagine that in the course of the research of this book too, you you also felt less alone yourselves. I'm I'm a Libra, so I'm like really indecisive <laughs> too. That's why I'm also like hemming and hawing. But I think I would choose like I like Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera really stick out to me. Um, and I know that there are a ton of other black and brown trans women that like I don't really. I probably don't even know about yet or that I've learned about since then but like the reason like writing about them really stuck out to me just because they were so revolutionary that they were even cast aside by the queer community and so it's like their courage is just just like it 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 goes beyond anyone else's in my opinion and like the fact that they started star street transvestites action revolutionaries to try to help other people like them was just like they like when you read about them they had kind of tragic lives where like they really didn't have much they didn't have much community and instead of just like wallowing at in that they built it for other people who also didn't have that like so that just is is I don't know they were just really powerful to write about and really inspirational to write and read about I love King Princess and oh my god I know I'm saying it but like I just like appreciate them so much because like it's really cool seeing like a younger person like using their platform for like you know like awareness of the queer community and like doing all this amazing stuff and like it's and then like like even the first time I heard King Princess on the radio I was like oh my gosh like I love like this song is so catchy like I wish it was like so gay but then like later on I found out that it was a really gay song and then I discovered this like really queer artist and I was just like so floored I was like there's like this never happens like there's never a great song on the radio and it's like really actually gay um but like I don't know like the more that I followed like it's just like really amazing how like their whole identity revolves around like being out and like being proud and like you know like showcasing all these like different types of queers like in their music videos and like just like in their just like life I don't know I just I really think that it's cool and I really love that like the younger generation is like embracing queerness like so openly and like it's really awesome that they even have the opportunity to do that like because you know I mean even 10 years ago it was different from how it is now, like on how open you could be with your like sexuality and your like identity and everything. Over the course of writing the book and researching it, was was there anything that really stood out to you and really like surprised you over the course of your research and in the writing of the book? I mean, I think like the thing that surprised me the most was how little I knew of like anything. Like I just, as we were writing it, I felt like every topic was, new to me and that was like kind of eye-opening and almost like embarrassing as a queer person to be like oh my like I can't believe that I actually don't know any like this is just turning into a giant research project for me because now I'm like (laughs) realizing that I don't know anything about the queer community like I don't know even when I was writing like the AIDS section that like I maybe that stuck maybe that part was like the first like kind of big surprise because it was like I'd always heard people talk about AIDS growing up and I'd heard like 
I don't know, I heard like jokes about it on like Family Guy and stuff like that. And like so many, just a lot of jokes about it in general too, of like people being like, ew, you have AIDS or whatever. Like, I don't know why people thought that was a funny thing to say, but I feel like people would always just talk about it. And I knew like that it was a crisis and like I'd heard the words AIDS crisis used together, but I think I didn't realize like how, how much of a crisis it was and how much it really truly devastated the queer community um, until I started writing about it and I was realizing like all of these people watched their friends and lovers die and then watched the government just kind of be like okay with it for so long before any action was even taken like we wrote it as a timeline and I felt like the timeline was like I had to cut it down but the timeline literally seemed endless where it was like how am I still writing about this crisis? And it seems like nobody is caring enough to help besides the people that are being affected by it. Yeah. It's crazy. Cause it early, like early on in, in the book too, like in the, in the fifties, they mm-hmm. identified, you know, queerness as a mental illness right. then. And even that took a long time to finally be, you know, debunked. Yeah. And, and so, so much of that is just so embedded in the fabric that, you know, I, the policymakers are just like, I don't know, just hoping it'll just go away and we don't have to talk about it and just further marginalize, right. you know, the, these, you know, for just further, further marginalize people who are just the other in their mind. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think what was really interesting for me, like while writing the book, I mean, like researching and everything I was like really I had no clue a lot of people know about Stonewall like Stonewall is like a really like popular reference point for like queer history and then like people know that like you know it's like the police like it was like like they had raided this bar and like people were like finally fighting back but like I didn't realize that being queer was illegal which like saying that out loud is so insane like that is it's just like I can't believe that like like they had like these laws where like you had to like wear like gendered clothing like if you had like I don't remember how much it was maybe like you had to have like at least like three pieces of clothing on like that like matched your like sex or whatever which is like so wild and like people could get arrested for like wearing like like clothes that didn't match their sex and it was just so strange I, I like I don't even know like it's still so insane to comprehend that like police would like literally just like go into bars and arrest people and like it happened for like so there's a lot like there's like a section on the police raids and then like we we put a few of like the more like well-known um like police raids like the black cat and then there's like the Compton the cafeteria riots and like the Cooper donuts and stuff but it was just like that really surprised me and I didn't realize that like I just didn't realize that like it was like such a a thing that you could literally be like arrested and like beaten by like these people who are supposed to be protecting the community it's just like that was like I still get chills thinking about it. And like, I mean, you know, it still probably happens today, but yeah. Yeah. And to the, to that point of just, you know, 
being beaten and in, in the case of Matthew Shepard, like beaten to death in 1998. And the fact that the defense of the murderers were, was the gay panic defense was a mm-hmm. thing. And that was going to be the thing that exonerates him. It's just like, it's just disgusting to think of. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And then also, I mean, like, that's still a defense that is allowed in some states, too. And like trans panic, you know, also like, oh, my gosh, this person tricked me. I didn't know that I was having sex with a man when like they have sex with a trans woman or something. It's just like, it's so crazy. And also, the other crazy thing reading about that one in particular is like, if you actually research his death and you try to find information on it, too, like you're bound to come across other people, too, who are like, then criminalizing or criticizing Matthew Shepard after he's dead too, being like, well, he was on drugs. He wanted to buy drugs from them too. And it's just so crazy because you see that same thing still now. Like even oh gosh, yeah. when we're thinking about like Brianna Taylor's death, so many people are like, there, yeah, they try to a criminal. It. And like, yeah, it's just crazy. The lengths that people will go to, to, you know, try to justify violence and hatred against communities and then also to try to not admit that it's like rooted in racism or homophobia or transphobia or anything like that it's very frustrating and horrible what is wrong with the world yeah so uh you know as we as we kind of wind down here i don't know if you uh caught the email i sent you late last night um about sort of like pivotal books that Mm -hmm. um that I uh, that I like to ask people about very influential books uh, that you would keep in your pack for like the, the if the apocalypse happens the zombie <laughs> apocalypse and you had to you know you only have a a few rations but you know what you're going to take five books with you or so and maybe uh, between the two of you you know what five books would you uh, bring with you and and why I was like okay I saw this email this morning like right before I went for a run and then I spent the whole run thinking about it because I'm. <laughs> like a Libra and I'm very indecisive and I was like oh my gosh but what if I really did only have these two books like oh what if I pick the wrong one but <laughs> um I would think I would pick okay my first one is like I say this so often that like at this point I'm just sucking up to him but I would choose Amateur by Thomas Page McBee because <laughs> <laughs> this book like it just it literally is my favorite um I don't know if you've read it but it's it's a great book and it's written by a trans man and it talks just about like masculinity um and it's in the context of a boxing match too which is like it's just really interesting to me because I'm trans and I like to do Muay Thai and I like to think about masculinity and gender and all of those things and like it's one of those books where like every time I read it I get something new from it like the first time I read it was before I was out and then I started, you know, I was like thinking about it and now I read it now and I have a different view on masculinity because I'm, I'm seen as more masculine. And so like, that's just a really interesting one that I feel like I could read and reread. Um, and then I think the other one I would pick, I'll do two for now. And then if I have to do another one, I'll probably stress about it. But the other one I would pick um, is probably, I would choose like a children's book because I'm a total nerd and I used to read like all day every day and I just like love children's books and I think maybe if I had to pick a children's book I would pick The Twits by Roald Dahl even <laughs> though I'm pretty sure that Roald Dahl has actually been like outed as probably like racist or homophobic but this book just I thought it was so funny when I was growing up and I just remember reading it and rereading it so many times so hopefully <laughs> I would enjoy it in the apocalypse too. <laughs> Okay, so I've been thinking about it. So I really love fiction, so I'm sure that 
well, I I just wrote down my list that I've been thinking of, and like all of them are fiction. So like my number one would be The Hike by Drew Maggery. I knew you were going to say that. I was going to say it. I love it so much because it reads like a dream. Like, you know how you have those weird dreams and like, you're, you know, you're one place and then like the scene changes and suddenly you're somebody else, but you're still also yourself. And like all these things are happening. It's just like such a wild book. You could probably read it over and over again and still like find like new things each time. And it's just like, it's really weird. And I love that because there's just so many different things going on in it. So it doesn't seem like one like long line of like story. It's like a story with like a bunch of different branches coming out of the storyline. So it's like that one is my like my absolute favorite. And then I think I would go with Vampires in the Lemon Grove by Karen Russell. And it's a book of short stories. But I really love Karen Russell because her stories are just like so weird and magic they like make me feel like it's halloween like all year round like it's not even halloween vibe it's just like kind of like eerie but like really really good and like not scary but like just like odd but um i really love her writing so definitely definitely a short stories book so i have like multiple stories in one book (laughs) yeah that's Um, a good call yeah yeah and i don't i don't know i know we have one book left between the two of us but Mm. i mean i guess just in general i would probably bring like an art book so we could have something pretty to look at yeah i have this really cool book i actually just saw someone post a picture of it on instagram yesterday but it's this book i think it's called like the fireside like book of songs for children and it's illustrated by John Alcorn and he's like this um, illustrator that has a lot of really amazing like psychedelic art from like the 60s like the 70s and stuff and it's like that classic like I don't even know like maybe like it's not really folk art but it's like psychedelic folk art that's what it reminds me of but <laughs> yeah, like really it's cool. filled with like these um, children's songs, like the music notes and everything, accompanied by like a really awesome illustration <laughs> that's just like so wild and wacky. But I like that. I think I would bring that just so I could like that's a have good the thing. option of like music and looking at pretty colors. <laughs> nice. I love. I, I love it. And I, you know, and I, I love the the book you guys wrote. It was. It's so great, and especially the you know, the glossary of terms at, at the end, I think is like super, super helpful just to, to know what, you know, know what words are, are, you know, taboo or were once accepted and are now like, and now they're offensive. I think it's just really good to see the spectrum of those, uh, of the vocabulary. And, and it's just, that's, it's always, it's very fluid and, and evolving. So it's great to know the vernacular. So, so you can be the best ally possible. And, uh, you know, in these times, I think it was just really educational for me, just the history part, but also the vernacular that you that you bring to it. So I, I just think it's a great and important book that you guys done. I really have to commend you on that. Aww, thank, thank, you. thank you so much. <laughs> of course. And now uh, where can people um, you know, find you online, of course, and I uh, get more familiar with your work and then hopefully pick up the gay agenda. Ooh. Um, so we 
are really active on Instagram. That's like basically like we have Instagram, which is um, just our names, Ash and Chess. And our website is the same. It's ashandchess.com. And like, that's where like you can buy the book from us, which I highly recommend because we're the only place aside from mongrel um enrichment uh it's like a store we're the only place that sells them signed so like you could get an actual signed copy (laughs) directly from us but um but yeah uh we post all of our art on our website and our instagram and like yeah we also like often update our stories so we can like be hanging out like right in your living room with you basically. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank thank you so much for hopping on the podcast and thank you for the for the work you guys have done and uh and, and best of luck going forward. Yeah, Aww, thank you so much. Thank you. It was really fun. This was I liked this podcast. <laughs>That was a good time, if I do say so myself. Thanks very much to Scrivener for the support. Be sure to head over to their website and redeem that nonfiction coupon code. Gets 20% off. I like it. And also thanks to Ash and Chess for making the time. And of course, thank you to you, kind listener, for sticking around and spending this time with this community and spending a little time with me. It means the world. This bumps to you. You should know that I published the final episode of Volume 2 of Casualty of Words just the other day. Finishing the rewrite of this latest draft of Tools of Ignorance put a cap on Volume 2 of Casualty of Words. I read a pretty raw journal entry. I'll spare that for you here, but you might want to go check that out, you know, wherever you get your podcasts. It's a writing podcast for people in a hurry. It's a thing that's usually under five minutes. This one tops out around five minutes because I read a pretty long journal entry. But it's also the sort of volume closer of that particular round of Casualty of Words. It's pretty dig. I, mean, I dig it. Next round, I don't know what I'll talk about. I have some ideas, but I'll cross that bridge once I get there. Or fall into the river. How's your project? How's your essay? How's your book? Is it coming along? Is It's a mess, right? Don't I know it, friend. I know you can finish it. I mean, it's going to look like garbage for a while. But that's the nature of this game. It just is. Know that you're not alone. The writing looks it looks really bad until it doesn't. Sometimes it just goes on being bad. And that's been my experience for several years. But that's how you get good. You get comfortable writing shitty-ass sentences and shitty-ass words. And eventually it just kind of starts getting better. Kind of trust me on that. Uh, highly skilled people at times need that extra bit of help, an accountability coach, to see things that can't be seen by the writer. I'd be thrilled and honored to serve you and your work. You know that. Time with me gets you Skype calls, transcripts of the calls, so you can use that for notes, detailed critiques, several back and forths, and me checking in on you to spot you through those grueling sets. Email me, Brendan O'Meara. Not Brendan O'Mara. Come on now. Brendan at brendanomara.com. Hey, hey. And we'll start a dialogue. Be cool. Be cool to help you with your work. Speaking of lifting. Ugh. A week ago, I was squatting a very lightweight for me. Just 205 pounds. I wasn't going for it yet. 
at the very bottom of the movement on the very first rep, a muscle in my back, my right erector spinae, I think, it pulled so unbelievably bad, I really hope it's a muscle. But I felt it pull. Like, I felt it stretch. It was it was more than just an acute pain. It was like dough stretching or something. It was... Ugh. But I couldn't dump the weight because I didn't have that kind of a squat rack. And it's just in my garage. So I had to squat that up and still rack it. So after I wrenched the muscle, I still had to power that weight up. Oh, it's bad. I kind of collapsed on the ground after that and just kind of rolled around in agony. I wasn't even doing stupid weight. It, was, it wasn't even stupid weight, which is all the more frustrating. That said, I'm pretty laid up, limping around a bit. Back injuries don't go away. They just they hang around. They're so nagging. Anyway, so here we are. Oh, oh today is my 10th wedding anniversary, the September 25th. Can you believe that? That went by in a flash, those 10 years. My goodness. Where were we at the time? We got married in Boonville, North Carolina at Ragapalassie Vineyards. We were living in upstate New York at the time, 2010 in Saratoga Springs. 2012, we would have moved to Boston Lake near Saratoga Springs. From there to Rahway, New Jersey in 2014. Lawrenceville, New Jersey, 2016, 20, 2015, 2016. Then Oregon, 2016 till the current day. Crazy, right? Anyway, it's, uh, it's crazy. The person I was 10 years ago is such a distant, different dude. But one thing remains true between the two. If you can do, interview. See ya! See ya!